Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome everyone to Rock M Nation Podcast. This is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. It is uh, still in season five. It feels like it's not season five any longer. It uh, feels like it should be like season eight by now, but we are uh, on episode 13. With me as always, good friend Matthew J. Harris. Matt, uh, Merry Christmas week to you. How are you? I am well. Um, Merry Christmas week to you and... The misses and the uh, pack of uh, dogs that uh, you that run your home, um, and uh, yeah, it, it, we're gonna hopefully uh, leave some folks with uh, a moderately optimistic present present here <laughs> in their uh, pod feed. Uh, well, anytime you get to review a a win versus um, some of the other things that have happened. <laughs> So far this year, it's it's a, generally going to be a bit, little bit better of a pod. Uh, but funny that you actually mentioned um, the dogs that run the household because uh, Allie and I were actually on a uh, a little stroll with the dogs. I, I don't want to say the the word because I've got uh, Arturo and the, uh, the the bed below my feet here. Um, and I was remarking to her because I always get Bishop and Bishop. I'm not entirely sure likes walks. I don't know if anybody has a dog like that, that, you know, like he is constantly at the end of the leash and like pretty much dragging me. Um, just feel like we go on like human poles instead of, uh, instead of an actual like nice little stroll down the, down the block. I don't really, I don't know if, if you get that sort of same experience with, uh, with the Bassets there. Uh, Odie will try and take your, sh- your shoulder out of socket if you go like in the morning. <laughs> Uh, Peach, uh, since we adopted her, uh, she's like good for the first 15 minute stretch and then she just, she's done. Um, and so Mm -hmm. it's like cajoling and, and, you know, like gently pleading with her to go, uh, back when we lived in a hip, cool downtown apartment, I would just get over and I'd pick her up and I'd carry her like the three blocks home, (laughs) but I don't do that now. Now we live in a neighborhood and she's got to get her exercise. So, uh, they they balance each other out. One will uh, try and dislocate a shoulder. The other one will try and give you like a strength workout from carrying her home. So it it all balances out. Well, since we last spoke, um, and I mean you and I talk every day um, with our good friend Matt Watkins. That is always a a delightful uh, Slack combo uh, between the three of us. 
Um, but the last time we podcasted was uh, directly after the Kansas loss. Um, and things were a little little bleak at that time, Matt. Uh, coming off a, a like basically 40-point drubbing uh, to your most hated rival. Uh, shortly thereafter, uh, you know, having the road loss uh, at Liberty, uh, you know, losing to Florida State, Wichita State. Things were in a rough spot at five and five with games against Utah, Illinois coming up. Uh, you know, two teams that were looking pretty good. Uh, I mean, U- Utah, I've sort of thought was a pretty mediocre uh, power conference team, but you know, Missouri hasn't had a lot of success against mediocre teams. Uh, and then Illinois has certainly uh, been playing pretty well. So we were not in a very good place mentally, uh, but the Tigers uh, kind of took care of business against the the Utes. They got a little bit of good news in the form of, um, oh, Carlson. What's his first name? Brandon. Tanner? Brandon. Um, all those uh, big, tall, white guys kind of look like they should be like a Connor, right? Right, right, right. Um, <laughs> Uh, so not having him available, the leading scorer, uh, seven foot guy can stretch the floor, can block shots, can rebound, uh, completely changes the, the dimensions of the, the way that that game was played. Uh, and it really allowed Missouri to take advantage. And they looked like the kind of basketball team that really, I think we were kind of hoping to see, uh, all year. Like they, they played fast, they played aggressive, they, uh, played tough defensively. I mean, Utah made some shots. Um, yeah, they've got some guys. You know, Jenkins is is a guy who's certainly capable of making a lot of shots. Um, and so, yeah, so Missouri had to be kind of on point on offense, but they they won the game. Matt, they scored. Um, I think it was like almost one point two points per possession. It was like one point one something. I'd have to consult the study hall metrics. I ran them. I just haven't posted it yet. Yeah, they uh, the dimensions of the floor changed dramatically without Carlson there. Um, this was a team that you know was seventeen points per possessions better with Carlson on the floor and nine points per possession, nine points per one hundred possessions better when he sits. And like eighty percent of that advantage came on the defensive end of the floor, so you could kind of see even just like with a cursory look, like oh, maybe the paint's going to be a viable place to score today. And the rebounding numbers are better with him on the floor, and it really played itself out there. I mean, the jump shooting, again, was problematic, but Missouri was able to was able to get on the glass and, you know, really, I, they gave themselves a possession advantage there. Uh, they rebounded the ball really well. They valued the ball um, really well, um, but Utah's not a team that's going to put a lot of pressure on you. And, you know, they forced some turnovers. So I think they were really able to get you know, a good possession margin working where even if they weren't shooting the ball well from the perimeter, they were getting a lot of, you know, rim looks, whether it was off a put back, whether it was off, you know, you know, Kobe Brown, you know, exploiting some bully ball matchups, they were able to draw fouls. It was just a situation where without Carlson there, sort of that tenuous balance that, that Utah has defensively wasn't sustainable for them. And, you know, I, I don't know if it heralds a long-term change for this team's prospects but you know we talked about you know the one thing we'd want to see this team do is come out and look competitive and look like they were you know pretty consistent in executing you know on the offensive end for you know 40 or so minutes and you know again we can talk about 
you know, jump shooting being a deficiency, but we know that. But in a lot of other ways, this team executed and they took advantage of a situation that was, you know, a positive for them. And, and you know, you don't want to look at gift horse in the mouth and, and, and you know, sort of look for flaws there. Um, but they did what they needed to do and they got a result that they desperately needed. And so you walk away and, and you just sort of take stock in that. Yeah, I, I kind of laughed at your remark on the jump shooting um, because that, that is one of the things that we were sort of chatting about earlier today uh, and how amazingly bad at three-point shooting this team is. Uh, they're currently 354th out of 358 Division One basketball teams in their three-point percentage. Um, I mean, they're at 24.1%. They have one player who has shot better than 30% from three-point range, and that guy has attempted five threes. And that's Trevor Brazil, who's two for five. So you have one guy who has attempted five shots that is shooting, you know, a respectable per- percentage. I don't think we really expect Trevor Brazil to be a 40% three-point shooter over the arc of his career, but I do think he's a guy, when you sort of look at his mechanics and, and his quick release and his size and uh, you know, the position that he plays. And it wouldn't surprise me if he ended up like in the high thirties. Um, no, but everybody else is like, like Kobe Brown is the team's technically the second best three point shooter right now. This was the thing I think that, you know, we've talked about it before. If you were to like really look at some areas of concern coming into the year, it was point guard play. Um, I wrote about that extensively. Um, and that has, clearly uh been a sore point for them but really it was the jump shooting that i think was going to be something you had to monitor because they they figured out a year ago how to get the ball to guys who were semi-consistent shooters and like you know drew smith you know pinson and mark smith to a certain degree the guys that have sort of filtered in none of them really came with a robust sample size of good shooting and, you know, Dejuan Gordon, a guy who, you know, a bounce back year for him was going to be probably 31 or 32%, but that's still subpar for a wing at the collegiate level. You know, Javon Pickett shot the ball really well on drastically reduced usage a year ago, but you had to wonder, what was he going to regress back a little bit to closer to 31 or 32%? It's been worse than that. Um, Jerron <laughs> Coleman... Jerron Coleman had a really good closing stretch, but again, you look at four years of high school and really one and a half seasons at the collegiate level where he'd been a streaky shooter and he had good mechanics from the waist up and he's kind of good off that catch if he gets set and gets into it, but you're investing a lot of hope in really a good closing eight game stretch during a COVID year and he's regressed back a little bit. And so this was, something that was probably a little bit forecastable that they were going to be bad or not as good of a jump shooting team as they were a year ago. But the hope was that they'd probably get more rim attempts and, and be able to counteract that a bit. Um, so to me, the rim finishing has been almost as problematic as the jump shooting. Cause I didn't come into the year thinking this was going to be a team that should have had a lot of guys with green lights, but they've been really bad, even you know relative to those sort of really low expectations that I had. Um, the upside is I don't think they can get any worse. Um, but you know, the top end for this team is probably what, like if you had to guess like 30, 31% as a group, 
if they turn it around over the second half of the season. Yeah, I mean, I don't really expect them to continue to shoot quite as badly as they've shot. Because, I mean, like, if you look at everybody's individual numbers, they're, they're all, like, shooting, you know, maybe except Kobe, uh, you know, who I think he was below 30% each of the last few years, right? Yeah, he's about 25%. Yeah. So he, he, he's up. Um, but everybody else is 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 down, and I just don't like. I don't think you can sort of write that into the game plan, um, you know. And even like like Anton Brookshire, I know, you know, if if you'd never watched Anton Brookshire prior to this year, and you've heard people say he's a good shooter, uh, and you look at his his start, he's three for eighteen, um, then you you have a hard time believing that he's a he's a good shooter, but he really is, and I I think there's some uh, and, and, you know, I don't want to I don't want to put like Torrance's career arc on Anton, um, you know, but Torrance Watson is a guy who really struggled a lot early as a freshman, and the end of his freshman year um, really brought up his three point shooting numbers. Uh, to the point where down the stretch, I think he was a he was a pretty consistent shooter, uh, you know. And again, this is talking about his freshman season. He sort of caught a little bit of a heater, and I, I think he turned around. So I think if you're looking for um, a little bit of hope in the three point shooting, you're hoping that Anton can sort of do what 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 Torrance said. You're hoping that 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 Boogie uh, is able to figure out like the kinds of three point shots he needs to be taking. Uh, and as like the coaching staff and some of his teammates have remarked, like when his feet are set, he's a good shooter. I think even Sunvold uh, made that comment during the game. Yeah. And so like, that's a big key for him. And I could even see, like, I think it was the play before he hit that big three towards the end of the game against Utah. Uh, the, the play before you could see he was getting his feet ready. And I think it, they ended up, doing something where I can't remember if it was a Kobe Brown, like got fouled or Kobe Brown turned it over. There was one of those, but the ball was there in his zone. The ball was opposite boogie and he was getting his feet ready. And it's just like, all right. And then like right before he hits the shot, uh, he, his feet were set. And it's basically like the ball gets kicked out to him. He takes a step, shoots it and, and knocks it down. So I think, for some of these guys, that's that's a big part of it is making sure that they're taking the kinds of threes that they're going to be making uh, more often, uh, and then also getting guys opportunities to shoot that you have more faith in them knocking it down, like like Brookshire, like Brazil. Uh, you know, if Dura Gordon gets a few more minutes, I think he's a guy that that can be capable of of being a respectable shooter and. You know, I think we've just seen enough from like Kobe and and Javon and and really Amari Davis at this point. You just don't really expect those guys to be good three point shooters. So, yeah, I think at the same point in time, you know, I remarked yesterday, you know, to you guys in Slack and on Twitter that they've changed how the offense is oriented a little bit now to, I think, work away from a lot of middle ball screen two man action to kick outs to the corners. They've really sort of, I think, really emphasized almost sort of more cutting action, you know, early on. You know, they were running a ton of UCLA cut stuff for Kobe and trying to get him into those bully ball matchups situations that, you know, they're screening away a bit more for Amari to get him some momentum going into the 
you know, to his left hand so he can get into the mid range. Um, you know, I think they're doing more to sort of de-emphasize getting to those corner threes because I just don't think that, you know, if they find Trevon Spate, Trevin Space to the corner, I think you might want to see if he can knock that down just because I think that's going to be, you know, important if you have a five out alignment as you move forward, you need to be able to have, you know, his man, if he's a five, if, you know, Trevin's playing the five, you want to be able to pull his man out of there a little bit. So he's going to need to be able to knock those down. But I think they've done a, a there were some signs yesterday. They've kind of de-emphasized the corner three a little bit in terms of what they're doing. And I think they're trying to do, get guys into positions more where they're comfortable playing and where they're getting into shots that are better for them. So we'll see if that, if that holds up or if that was just a function of not seeing a traditional five man and being in a game with a team that also wanted to play five out a little bit more. Um, but you could see the offense kind of de-emphasizing some of those shots, which, you know, a couple of years ago, it took them until, what, like game 20 to really start moving away from that. You know, it's taken them only three or four here and having uh, Brazil move into the lineup that they've they've already started to do that pivot. So um, we'll see what kind of long-term impact that has, but you can see signs. They're, they're already trying to, to do some ad- adapting and some changing on the fly here. Well, I think the other advantage to having, you know, a, a player with like this sort of talent and skill set that, that, you know, Brazil has is if he's able to sort of space the floor and, and hit corner threes with consistency, and it is going to draw the opponents, you know, post player away, away from the rim, right? Because you have to have to defend up against that. On the other side, like if the, the guy stays out by Trevin, it opens up the driving lane. If the guy crashes down, you either have the kick out, you also have the backdoor lob. Uh, and that's just one of those things where, like, Missouri really hasn't had a guy like that, you know, uh, maybe what, since, like, not even, like, Lawrence Bowers, because, I mean, he was not really a great shooter until, uh, you know, and, and until he basically had to when he hurt his knee. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's been a while since they've had a guy that's just sort of had that, that specific skill set. And that's something that I've always felt is really valuable uh, in today's game, the way that they're trying to play. Uh, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why we've seen, you know, Brazil sort of have such a, a significant role here to kind of start the season or, uh, you know, not really start the season, but uh, now that he's back and playing, uh, I think it's, it's why he's, he's been, cleaning up a lot more minutes maybe people expected yeah just the the angles and the geometry the floor changes so much you know ronnie's a guy who isn't like a a top end athlete but just makes smart cuts smart timely cuts at that baseline opens to him he can find you know it's kind of when to float to that short corner you know he just makes good heady plays but you're not gonna you know try and stress that middle of the floor and then have him cut to lob like we saw you know Trevon do against Eastern Illinois. You're just not going to have that element there. But, you know, I think Ronnie does a lot of other things on the floor pretty well that kind of fill the gaps for them. And playing five out is is really, I think, this team's best chance to to sort of have any, you know, reasonable degree of competing there. Um, I like what Yaya gives them in stretches. There, I think he's really tough on the glass. I think he plays really hard. You know, the question's just going to be, is he going to, you know, what's he going to be able to give you a little bit offensively at this point? I still think he's coming back and clearly feeling his way through a year off, you know, without playing. And, you know, I think everyone, you know, the one question we got today was, is Wilmore ever going to, you know, is he, is he parked for good? Um, 
I don't think that's necessarily the case, but the math and like even watching this team with Jordan on the floor, it just doesn't make sense. There's nothing, there's no supporting evidence to keep him really in the mix. So you really get into a spot where your fives have to be Trevon and Ronnie, and you kind of just have to, you know, rotate some guys to the four, but they've got to, I think, get to a five out sort of element. And then Trevon gives them the best chance to do that. And they started, I think really tinkering with some sets and their sets have kind of, I think shifted more towards that style. So, We'll see, again, how durable that is going into Illinois. But um, you could start to see, you know, some changes here. You know, now that the lineup has been, you know, impacted by Brazil getting like 40% of minutes at the five. Yeah, so uh, I did put a little uh, Twitter hit before we, we started recording, and I didn't give a ton of heads up. So uh, if we end up getting more questions afterwards. I'll probably send up a follow-up, be like, and eh, we're done recording, so no, don't send your questions in by, by now. And also because we typically record on Monday, we're recording on Sunday. Um, basically, just with like the holiday week, I figured it was probably better for us to kind of get this out of the way. Uh, but we did get the question from Free Kevin Free, at Free Kevin Free, and he asked, you know, what are the chances comes it takes Wilmore out of the rotation completely? Uh, I do think that when... Um, you know, when, when, uh, I already forgot his name again. Um, Carlson, uh, Brennan Carlson for Utah, when he was taken out of the rotation, um, you know, by COVID basically, uh, it really allowed, and I don't know if allowed is the right term. It sort of put Conzo in a position where like playing Wilmore like the one reason you could sort of throw out there to, to, to put him on the floor doesn't exist anymore, you know, to, to sort of lean on the other, you know, team's big guy. Um, and so like, I don't, I think we're going to see Wilmore play some minutes against Kofi. Uh, I like, if there's one reason you have a guy like Jordan Wilmore, it's to, it's to lean on a guy like Kofi. Like that's, a really, really big body. Um, and you lean on another really, really big body. So I think like that, that's the only reason at this point, I, I think you're going to see a lot of minutes from Wilmore and I don't even know what a lot of minutes look like. I still think when you have uh, a big physical, big, like Kofi, like your, your best bet is to try to take away his strengths by, you know, really not allowing him to use his body, not not allowing him to settle in and throw his weight around, and and that's you. Yeah, you you play fast. Uh, you don't let him post up. You get in front of him. You make them throw it over the top. And I mean, that may leave open a, a couple lob dunks and stuff like that. But if you have ball pressure, it makes that pass pretty difficult uh, to complete. Um, and if you have a kid like like you know Trevor Brazil and you're in front of him, like, that's a really long body you're having to throw over the top. So, I mean, I like, I just think that the recipe is there. Like, I do think we're going to see Wilmore uh, in the game and and bodying up as, as much as possible against Kofi. I don't think Wilmore is, is quite skilled enough um, where Kofi is, will probably be able to take advantage of him. It honestly wouldn't surprise me if Wilmore is in there for, like, 
two minutes and uh, picks up two fouls. Uh, and so it's like stuff like that just makes me really like, I don't know, say question the judgment of the coaches, but I, I, I just don't think we're going to be seeing much of, of Wilmore throughout the rest of the season. Uh, unless there's an opportunity like like Illinois, where you, you have an opposing big guy, you you need some weight on. You might see him more in the first couple, the next couple of games, because they have Kofi, they've got um, Sweetway, and then I can't uh, I can't believe I'm forgetting Mississippi State's big guy, but they've got Garrison Brooks and they and Tolu Smith. Yeah, they've got two big bodies that he may lean on a little bit. Not so much on Brooks. I think you could get away with. Brooks is kind of more of a finesse big than Tol- than Tolu, so you could probably get away with a non-traditional five there. But yeah, I, my thing is, I think you, what you do is in those situations, you try and leverage playing with a little bit of tempo, and you put Jordan on the floor a minute before a couple media timeouts to let your bigs get a little extra rest, and you know, instead of getting like maybe two or three minutes, they're getting three or four. And then they can go back in. I think if you have some foul trouble, you know, if, if you're struggling, if you're, you know, if Trevin and Ronnie are struggling initially to get a feel for how to front, and maybe one of them picks up a couple quick fouls, you put in Jordan, and the goal is just to have him lean and, you know, make Kofi work a little bit more. The one thing about Kofi is you can kind of sit on his right shoulder a bit. He doesn't really like to play over his left a ton. So if you just tell him, like, hey, three quarter front and take away his right shoulder and you're going to be sending extra guard help from somewhere, you might be able to, to gimp through it a little bit. But I don't know. I, part of me suspects that we're going to say all this, and they're going to throw Jordan out there to start, because that's what they did against David McCormick. And, you know, you know, I could see him doing it again. But to me, that, and we'll get into it, and this might be a good transition point into the Illinois game, I don't think that's the right approach at all going into this game. In fact, I would I would want to deviate as much from trying to go head to head with with Kofi as possible. So, I would I would only use Wilmore in case of extreme foul trouble or to give my other you know fives a chance to breathe uh, and a chance to rest. So, um, he has some utility moving forward, but I I think now that Trevin sort of moved in to the lineup and quickly taken over like basically half the minutes alongside Ronnie. Um, and Kate has shown that he can come in and be useful. Um, I, I think uh, Jordan's been outmoded uh, over the last four or five games. It, it is like one of those things where when you're when you're going to play against a team that you are pretty familiar with at this point with Illinois, um, you can't let them sort of make the game about Kofi. Uh, if you're able to make the game about you know, pace and tempo, then I think you have a chance. If you make the game about Kofi, then you're going to get, you know, dunked into the rim. Um, and, you know, because he's, he's very capable of turning in dominating performances, both on the glass and, and around the rim. I mean, he's just so physical of a player. Um, I think, what was it, you know, last year, lost to Missouri, um, 19 points. But only six rebounds. Um, you know, he was he was Missouri did enough to make the game not about him. And and I think like that's the kind of that's basically what you like I think Missouri won that I, game a year ago by going small. They they put Mitch and Parker 
out there and the runs that define that game for Missouri came when they went to a small ballish lineup and they said, we're going to run and we're going to make this game, a, you know, one where Illinois has kind of gone to a flat and has kind of gone to a pack line style. They've gone away from Brad's changed a lot since he first got there. We you know we talked about evolution. Brad's not running anything close to the same thing he did at least defensively when he got there. Missouri made when Missouri won the game last year during its runs, they said, we're going to get the ball off the rim. We're going to run. We're going to get down floor. We're going to flatten the pack line and we're going to take Kofi out of the equation as a rim protector. And if we do play in the half court, we're going to hunt switches where he's got to like deal with Kobe in space on the perimeter. They did. They basically conceded that yes, we may get absolutely destroyed on a post up, but if we send early help, if we, you know, crash down, we like our odds of getting out and beating this other team down the floor. And that was a, probably a more athletic Illinois team, at least in the backcourt. So I think the seeds of what a game plan for this season are were kind of laid last year. We'll see if they'll lean into it a little bit, though. But you're right. I don't think you go into this one being like, we're gonna let we're gonna see if we can stop Kofi on post ups. I don't that that should not be the the uh, frame through which you view this game planning or scout scouting session. So, I'm assuming if people are listening to this podcast, and I uh, can't imagine there are many of you that do, but um, you are probably at least lightly enough familiar with. Illinois and, and what's going on with their program. If you're not Andre Corbello, uh, who was the starting point guard and a lot of people kind of talking him up and his ability kind of coming into the year, I remember him from last year. Uh, he was just as capable of making a very splashy play as he was making a truly atrocious one. Um, so he's, he's been hurt and he has not played the last four games. Uh, last Six, I think, right? Six games, yeah. So uh, he is, sorry, he has played in four games in just four games, uh, and he is not expected to play against Missouri. Uh, in his stead, uh, Illinois has turned to Alfonso Plummer, who I believe is a Utah transfer. Yep, yep. Um, <laughs> strangely enough. Uh, so Plummer, <laughs> and I always like to kind of joke, like, uh, you know, Orlando Antigua basically just had you know, every Puerto Rican player, uh, you know, ready to follow. <laughs> and they got Plummer's commitment. And then and Tui goes like, ah, I'm going to Lexington, see ya. Um, but he's a guy who's sort of taking over that starting point guard role. I mean, Trent Frazier is still there. I mean, this is year six? I think so, yeah. Did he, did he miss one year with an injury No, this may be five, I think, for him. One, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. God, it just feels like so long. Um. Yeah, so Trent Frazier's back. He's kind of been uh, the starter at the two guards. So Plummer and, and Frazier, who are both not really true point guards, uh, have, have been running the point. And then Damani Williams, uh, who uh, was... Don't, you, uh, don't, you don't have him initiating offense. Y- yeah, so like he's one, two, three, four. He's back for year five. Um, he's basically like their version of you know, Javon Pickett, um, you know, really kind of undersized for a wing guy, uh, not a great ball handler, 
He's been he, last year. He was kind of decent in some spot ups. That's kind of taken a dip this year. Uh, and everybody seems to be sort of missing that sort of alpha dog, you know, player that uh, Iodasumu was. Uh, and it's it's as you're kind of pointing out for the pot. It's it's sort of caused Illinois' efficiency overall to kind of take a dip. Yeah. Um. You know the one. You know, when we went into this game a year ago, we were talking about how terrifying the backcourt looked with, you know, Io. Adam Miller and you know Trent Frazier kind of as a third guy there, and you could just send Corbello on to play in pick and rolls. And now they'll see none of those four. They'll only see one of those dudes. Um, you know, Alfonso Plummer is was kind of a microwave scorer off the you know for um, Utah. You know, he's a guy who can get on scoring jags a little bit like David Jenkins, but you know, he's not a guy who is necessarily always the most efficient player for them. Um, Damani Williams um, really was, you know, a bulldog three and D type of guy at his best there, but you don't have like a legit true on ball creator that terrifies you. Um, Illinois, we can, we'll get into this a little bit later here. And why I think it helped Missouri. They, they, they struggle to value the ball. None of these guys are really, really sound with the rock. Like even if Corbello was playing, he's got a 45% assist rate, but, he was coughing the ball up almost 30% of the time here. So, you know, you can force Tr- Trent Frazier into a turnover about 20% of the time in pick and rolls if you trap him. I mean, there's there's not like a there's this isn't a team which is a year which is a year ago, you were kind of like, oh man, they're so dynamic on the perimeter. Now you're like, okay, they got two kind of undersized combo guards who are gonna hunt pull-ups and one's a little bit better off spot ups and Damani Williams is just there to annoy the hell out of somebody defensively. Like there's just not a lot of that punch on the perimeter. Now Missouri can't like sit in judgment too long here, but relative to a year ago, there's not like the same sort of pop with this team. And you know, the best guy they have is Jacob Grandison coming off the bench, but he's kind of a floor spacer and not really like a guy who can play off the bounce. So if you're Missouri, you're kind of like, all right, if we, if we're just sound defensively, if we're good in our gaps and good switching, you know, we can be there on some contested jumpers for this team. And, you know, really everything comes down to, you know, what Kofi's able to manufacture playing off the post. So it's, it's really weird. Like you look at the passing numbers, they're better off passing off post-ups than they are passing out of pick and roll. So, so much of, like it's not just that Kofi's got to score and rebound; he has to warp the spacing of the de- you know the shape of the defense to give his guards an opportunity to make plays, which is you know the complete inverse of what they had a year ago. So it's that that's been sort of a wild shift to see from them. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you sort of you know look at. So I mean, Illinois is still good offensively. Um, Top fifteen. Um, their offensive rebound rate is through the roof. They're second in the country. Um, who's first? I'm gonna guess K- Kentucky. Oh look, Kentucky. Um, <laughs> Oscar Shibway. We'll we'll do that. We'll um, see you soon enough, Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, two serious offensive rebounding uh, teams, uh, including two big time offensive rebounding players uh, mostly because like 
you know, how many times are they going to miss a close up too? And because they're just so big, they'd be like, Oh, I, I missed that. Let me go get it again. Yeah. Like, the- um, that's probably going to happen at least three times a game. Yeah. But like, even a guy like Coleman Hawkins, he's like 6'10, 215. He's kind of intriguing defensively. Like, he's pretty mobile for a big, but he's not like a guy who, you know, you're going to, you know, he, his, he slips picks. He, gets to the short corner and he gets on the glass, but he's not like a guy who you're going to power your offense through, you know, yeah, so, nice right? Yeah. I mean, I think he's back. That's what I'm saying. Their bigs are having to do a lot of the distribution and a lot of the kind of playmaking for them. And, you know, I think you, we've both sort of saw a little bit. It looks like they're kind of back to the spread base system where they kind of have Coleman playing a little bit more at the elbow and they have guys cutting off. Now, Brad's kind of gone back to his more spread-based system because he doesn't have a true pick-and-roll dominant, you know, lead guard like Io or even like Adam Miller. So, but Missouri's shown in the past they can really screw with that type of offense. They would, you know, send guys in to dig on the elbow. You know, they'll send, you know, extra help on Kofi when he gets a post-touch. Like, Missouri's shown they can handle the spread a little bit and they can be a little bit physical with Illinois and sort of disrupt its timing there. So it's, I mean, Illinois, again, you know, they, they've played pretty well at stretches. They haven't, but they haven't really had like the kind of cohesion or continuity that I think you would have thought they might have at this point because of injuries and stuff. And really, I think the backcourt, I think, look, I, I, Corbell is a fun player, but I think some people might have overstated the the step forward he was going to take. And losing, you know, Miller and Dasunmu, um, was was just going to always be a massive problem for them. But, you know, Kofi kind of erases a lot of problems in the post. But um, they're, they're not they're not the same kind of team they were a year ago. I mean, there's some opportunities, I think, for Missouri to make this into a game where they can have a fighting chance. Yeah, I don't think Illinois, uh, despite th- their lofty um, Ken Palm rating, uh, yeah, I mean, well, so they're they're thirteenth in Kempom right now, and that to me that seems very high. Uh, they had back to back losses uh, against Marquette and Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati kind of made them look pretty bad. Um, they squeaked out a win over Kansas State. You know they they struggled against you know Rio Grande Valley. Um, they did beat Notre Dame, who's been okay. They walloped Rutgers who's been kind of all over the place this year and then they beat Iowa at Iowa uh, I feel like Brad always goes up and beats Iowa um but that's a that's a big rivalry for them if if you didn't know uh Illinois rivalries uh I think the Iowa and Illinois thing kind of goes back all the way to their good friend Bruce Pearl uh who I believe if my my history is correct Matt was an assistant uh, on Iowa's staff yeah. and and called Dion Thomas and recorded Dion Thomas and got Dion to admit that he had gotten like cars and cash and stuff to attend Illinois and turned that into the NCAA. Um, and uh, Dion Thomas, you know, recanted once the NCAA basically said that yeah, he was just trying to get Pearl off the phone. <laughs> so <clears throat> I think ever since then, like the. Uh, there, there's been some some bad blood between uh, Illinois fans and Iowa fans. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah. So they had Arizona come in after they beat Iowa. They lost uh, narrowly to Arizona. Arizona's a fun 
fun team. So fun. Um, there's a, uh, uh, what's the kid's name? I was making a big deal when I was watching that game. Kier Krisha. Uh, Kerr. Uh, yeah. Kier Krisha. Yep. He's like a six, three, uh, point guard. It's all kinds of fun. Um, but, uh, Arizona's really tough. Illinois made a lot of shots. So I think there's, there's one thing that this could kind of get away is if Illinois shoots the ball well from outside, because they've got guys that are capable. So Plummer right now is shooting about 43 or 44%. Trent Frazier is at about 39%. Um, you know, Grandison is at 50%. So like they've got guys who are knocking down threes. And if they're making threes, we know Missouri is not very likely to be making threes. It could be a really, really difficult game for Missouri to sort of keep pace. Yeah. Um, and so I think like the best thing for them is to is to, you know, basically try to run Kofi off the floor and out of the game uh as, as much as you can. Uh not that I think that they, they're capable of doing that completely, but I think that's your number one goal and then and then hope that you can maybe, you know, create some uh um, as you were kind of saying, like the, the, the toughness and accountability that, that Illinois seems to kind of lack at times. Yeah. I think the first thing you do here is you really just want to jack the pace up as much as possible. You know, the spreads kind of a, a timing based continuity offense. Like you, it, like there's a lot of repping five V zero in, in that thing. You've got to really have the timing and sort of the speed element to it. But you know, if Missouri rolls out a token two, two, one, it takes, 10 seconds for Illinois to get into its action. Well, now it's got to speed up a little bit. Now everything's got to move a little bit quicker. You know, if you're, you know, you mentioned it earlier, you know, you've really got to have heavy on ball pressure for the, for the entry pass. That's going to go to Kofi. If you're fronting him, you really want to, you know, with Trevin, you really want to make that a slow developing play. You want to make, you want that to develop slowly. So time's got to bleed out. So they can't just, so if they do have to, you know, go out of that and do a counter, it's cost them time. If he does get the catch, you know, you want to be able to have, you know, you want to keep him off his right shoulder. So maybe you want to send help top side or from the other side of the lane. You want to make him have to play through some of that a little bit and really try and, you know, do what you can to obscure his, his line of sight because Illinois shoots its best spot ups come off a pass out of the post. And then maybe it might get to a point where it's going to play out of the elbow a little bit with that kind of like with guards kind of like AI cutting over them. But again, Missouri's in the past has jammed that up by sending someone to stunt on that guy at the elbow. But really, you want to just be consistently sort of getting into bodies, getting up under Illinois, really disrupting timing, disrupting line of sight, making them have to work a little bit because they're going to turn, they do turn the ball over. They are, I think they're like 300th. And turnover rate nationally. So they will cough the ball up. You know, Kofi has, you know, got a little higher turnover rate off hard doubles. You know, Trent Frazier's at like near 20% when you trap him in a pick and roll. Like you just want to, I think, really extend the defense here. And that, you know, you're going to think, okay, is that a risk you want to run with this kind of team? But Missouri, I think, has to make this a game where they're extending it. They're making it tough. They're forcing turnovers. And then they're going to get out and run. And I think that's the thing you have to do is, as we talked about earlier, is you have to make Kofi hoof it a little bit and you really want to be playing on the break. And because Illinois runs more of a pack line style now, you've got to beat it down the floor. You've got to flatten it out and you've got to play in transition a little bit there. And then if you get into five out, 
you're going to be spacing Kofi. You're going to be making him switch. You're going to be making him recover. You know, is it going to work? I have no clue, but that's better than trying to make this a half court game because Illinois is 45th in half court efficiency. They're 190th in transition offensive efficiency. Like you're going to drop them basically 150 spots in efficiency by playing faster. And Missouri is only 80 spots lower than them. Not great in transition offense. Missouri's 270, but they're only 80 spots behind Illinois in that category. They're 240 spots behind them in half-court efficiency. Playing fast here is probably the best solution in a lot of fronts for Missouri. And realistically, I think to get those turnovers to play that way, it plays into what you just mentioned, where I think you can really be assertive with Illinois. You can really challenge them. You can get into them a little bit, and you can frustrate them. And Illinois also doesn't quite have the depth here with the injury issues. They don't have Austin Hutcherson. They don't have Curbelo. So you can, I think it behooves Missouri to really say, we want to be aggressive. We want to play in the open floor. We want to make you run. We want to be physical with you. And let's see if you can match us. And maybe Illinois shoots the lights out. Maybe they bang in a bunch of threes and it's ugly looking. But the alternative right now to just coming down and letting them get into their action and letting them play off Kofi is certainly not not advisable. So we'll see if they do it. But that that would be my whole approach here is um, we're just going to make this as ugly and as fast as possible. And maybe we'll be able to win it and transition and be a little bit better than you on the night. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, Missouri is, is won the last, uh, you know, three games. And one of the things I think you pointed out in previous podcasts, uh, if you haven't, we're going to talk about it now is, is, uh, you know, we've, we've always kind of made jokes about, you know, Javon, Pickett basically becoming a superhero when he has to play Illinois. Um, and he, very clearly, like Javon Pickett has been a key to Missouri winning each of the last three years. Uh, but you don't also want to dismiss, you know, like Xavier Pinson, who is from Chicago and never recruited by Illinois. Uh, Jeremiah Tillman, who was on the roster, who was uh, recruited um, and signed with Illinois and then uh, defected to Missouri and, and Mark Smith. So, that, you know, you had four guys who who really understood and, and really had a, a point to make, um, you know, in, in that game. And now Missouri is, is basically down. I mean, Kobe uh, Brown obviously understands just for having played in those games uh, each of the last two years. But, you know, Javon Pickett is the last guy standing of, of that sort of core chip on our shoulder, uh, you know, group. And now Illinois has, is the, the, the team that's actually brought back, uh, you know, Damani Williams and Trent Frazier uh, specifically guys who, you know, have lost this game now, like each of the last three years. And, and they were the favorite in each of the last three years. Uh, and it didn't matter. So I think, you know, if, if you're if you're looking at sort of like those intangible kind of things, like you know maybe who has more incentive to win, clearly this is an important game for Missouri. Like you know they're just trying to sort of save what is left of the season uh, after the way that you know that five five start started out. Um, you know, but Illinois is the team that that really has a lot more reason uh, to to you know not lose this game, I guess. And, and I don't know, maybe like, maybe that's going to have them putting 
undue pressure on themselves or, or something along those lines. But uh, certainly, you know, Consul Martin and his staff have come out and, and you know, pants Brett Underwood each of the last, uh, you know, three years. Maybe it happens again. I don't know. But it, to me, it seems like the dynamic has, has shifted as far as like those, those roster oddities you, you, you might consider. Yeah, definitely. I think Illinois is going to be more motivated in this one. Um, and, you know, the, the personnel still tilts their way. You know, if you were to look up and down the roster, there's not a spot where I think Missouri wins that. Um, I just tend to think that this is a game where Missouri's and Martin's shown a, for as much flack as he catches for scheme stuff from everybody and from some quarters of the fan base. He's really always had a great scout on whatever Brad's wanted to do. He's always had a really good sense for, you know, what he wants his guys to do. And, and it probably helps that having three or four guys who want to stick it to Illinois helps from a focusing on the scout type of perspective, but they've nailed the scout before. Um, so I'm really curious what their approach here is. Um, but we saw it in stretches last year where they played fast and that seemed to give them an edge. Maybe they go back and they say, look, you know, we, we want to do that again. You know, if we're going to, if we're going to lose this game, we're going to lose it by, you know, playing by us trying to assert the tempo and the style. And they've managed to do that the last couple of years. You know, I, I just think that they've had a really good sense for how to make this a game that's played on Missouri's terms. And if they can do that again, you know, maybe they give themselves a fighting chance here and the building's going to be great. I think it, you know, I'm, I'm really sort of interested in that last year it was sort of dead Missouri, you know, was able to sort of have the home floor and, you know, create their own sort of advantage and their own sort of environment there. You know, it'll be interesting what happens with, with enterprise sort of open back up and sort of what that, what that energy feels like. Maybe if they can play a little faster, maybe if they can get this thing, you know, to their type of game you know, the fan base will be there to give them that extra push and, and sort of drive them home here. So we'll see. It's, you know, I, I'm feeling less um, worried than I was before the KU game. So that, it there there's where I didn't see a path where I didn't see, you know, a scout that I think worked. Again, that's not to say that this is, that Missouri's going to, you know, pull off an upset here, but you can craft a coherent game plan to get a win here. And, and that's how it starts. We'll see what the, we'll see if the guys, what the staff comes up with and, and how the guys execute it. So uh, you going to make any bold predictions here, man, every time I've done this, I've always sort of leaned on, you know, talents or what the numbers say. I, I think Illinois gets the win this year. You know, I've picked them probably more consistently. I probably have, you know, not helped myself here. Um, offensively, we'll see, you know, Missouri kind of had to do the same thing against Liberty and they've never really been able to kind of consistently get the pace ramped up to the level that Zoe's wanted it to. So we can say they've got to play it with some pace. Um, they're going to have to show us that they can do it. Um, so right now I think Illinois gets the win. I, but I suspect it'll probably be closer than, than some might've thought a couple weeks ago. So uh, the spread, um, the Vegas spread doesn't come out until like the day before. Um, clearly we've got a few days before that, uh, but the Vegas spread is usually pretty close to Ken Palm. Um, I think they're, they're running different algorithms, certainly. Uh, but Ken Palm has this about 14 point spread. So you think it's going to be closer than 14? I think, I think it may be, you know, 10, nine or 10, maybe. I think they can keep it depending. Like I said, I, I just. This is a game where Missouri's always played better than what the numbers say they're going to play. And 
there's I think some ways that they can make it work for them um, if if they game plan and, it right. And Matt, they have Javon Pickett. That man's got a blood vendetta. Never doubt a blood vendetta. <laughs> um, so he, he, here's the thing: like I always kind of you know chuckle at this is why I will never be a gambler. Um, because the final point spread is rarely a true indicator of whether a game is close or not. Uh, you know, like the, the game against Utah. So Missouri ends up winning by eight, uh, which is, that's the final spread. Uh, but that, that game was touch and go. Either team could have won that game. And, and the key play was Boogie hitting that three. Uh, Boogie hit that three. Well, let me pull up the Kempom here because I believe when he hit that three, uh, Missouri was still a, a chance to win, but it it went from like 52% chance to win to 89% chance to win within a possession. So like, that's kind of what I'm talk, talking about when I'm asking this next question, because I tend to think that the indicator of whether not a, a game is close or not is heading into the final TV timeout. What is the point spread? Uh, so that's my question to you. Four minutes to play, final media timeout. What is the point spread? You think Illinois is up 10? All right, I'm going to take the under on that. Uh, I think it'll be closer at that point. I actually think that it probably ends up over 10. Um, and it's because I kind of question whether or not Missouri can make the kind of shots to, to keep it close late in the game when they need to. Uh, so, yeah, I'll, but I'm going to say it's like a five to six point game at the end of four. Illinois has a couple good possessions, extends the lead, uh, and then and then they, they put it away at free throw line. So that's where I'm at. Um, I would love to be wrong. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, a win here, I think you could – it doesn't, again, it, there's, I don't think anyone's going to be able to erase, you know, getting run by UMKC, getting run by Florida State, getting run by Liberty, and getting absolutely lambasted by KU. But if you can get two wins here, and if you're doing it with, I think, what we've seen, which is some young guys moving into the lineup with the offense changing, like, by no means are you moving towards, like, NIT team, but you're moving away from nine win team towards something that you know you're you're moving away from the outright catastrophe moving away from like a, a disaster to something more respectable towards you know, mediocre you're, you're basically like like and this is you know I, I hate to keep kind of using the mizzou football defense analogy here but i feel it's just it's very applicable because look look missouri's the talent level on the roster is is not close to being the best in the sec uh, the same with the football team defensively, like really the entire football roster is not one of the best, you know, talent wise. You can just look at two, four, seven. They have the, you know, team roster talent level. Missouri was like 13th last year. Um, you know, like Missouri might be the 13th or 14th most talented team, according to two, four, seven, probably 14th uh, in the SEC this year, but they have decent players right like they have guys who could play better than they've been playing uh you know i i think if you if you look at everybody up and down the roster you look at spots one through nine or one through ten whatever you want to sort of look at those guys are capable of playing better and if they're playing better 
they're going to show out better. And and I think that's basically like Steve Wilkes saved his job in the second half of the season because for whatever reason, they turned it around. Yeah, they, they've got it. And, and so like, I, I'm not like, I, I don't think Conzo Martin, uh, like if this team is going to go out against Illinois and play like against Liberty, then Conzo Martin is probably going to get fired at the end of the year. But but that story is not written yet. And really, halfway through the season, everybody was sure Steve Wilkes was, Wilkes was going to be fired. Just as last week, we were all sure that Consul Martin was going to be fired. If you can get a win here, you know, no one's going to talk about, you know, you can't disregard how the non-con record was put together. But you could also look back and say, flip the UMKC result, and it would be well within the sort of, range of outcomes you know if missouri wins tomorrow they'll be what's um they'll be seven and five they'll be seven and five you flip you know a loss to umkc they'd be eight and four that's about i had them at seven and five eight and four like if you flip that result and just strip out how it happened you just look at the outcomes that would be well within where we thought missouri was going to be but you can't disregard what it's looked like but at this point i i don't think Conzo Martin or the staff even really cares. They've got to just get this thing as far away from, you know, just as far away from outright calamity as possible. And a win over Illinois, you know, doesn't soothe everything, but, you know, you would have beaten Utah. You would have won a rivalry game, which, you know, I, I think I did agree with what John Sunvolt said, which is Missouri fans aren't happy with, I think, how the overall pictures look, but I but it just really makes a deep impression when it's a rival like Kansas that absolutely flattens you the way that that happened last week. If you can beat Illinois and sort of give a sec, give, you know, the large majority of the fan base something to look at and say, okay, they won a rivalry game. They beat Utah. You know, they look like they're playing better. You can just turn the temperature down here. Um, but then you got to go to Lexington and maybe that just erases it all here, but that's almost inconsequential now. It's about finding as many results as you can and picking them off where you can. And if you beat Illinois, that essentially replaces beating losing to UMKC. That's what Missouri's got to do now. They've got to replace bad outcomes with modestly respectable ones. So that's how I look at the U, the Illinois win. That yeah, can, and again, like. I- I'm not even like talking about like winning this game. They just have to play better. Right. And I think if they're playing better and this was always my point through like, you know, the Commanderson years was like, even after like, you know, they'd have a big win and everybody'd be like, see, it's working. I'm like, yeah, like, I mean, it doesn't change the overall numbers. They're not playing better. They just, they had an outlier game. And, and that's to me, like right now, Utah is an outlier. Yeah. Right? Right. It's an outlier until it becomes a trend. Like, Consumar and his staff and his team, like, their job is to turn the Utah game into a trend. If that becomes the blueprint for, for what they're going to look like the rest of the year, and whether or not they're winning doesn't, doesn't really matter to me. It's how they're playing. They played so much better with, with a lot more intensity. The, the pace, all of that stuff was better. Um, and I don't, I don't even mean like the number of possessions, like the pace at which their possessions were occurring was better. 
like the way that they were flowing Keep through set, that. the way they were flowing <laughs> through sets looked better. Like yeah, they they look like a crisp basketball team. What they did, and we can get out here on this is, <laughs> you, they basically dumped running what's called gut action with Dejuan Gordon and Jamon Pickett. They they stripped that out. We didn't see as many traditional like and dribble handoff actions for Javon Pickett, which they were running a ton of them five games ago. Now those actions are for Amari Davis, or you know now they are. You know, running some more drag and step up screens up. They are really trying to make that first action hit. They are trying to be, it's not just like, oh, we're going to run this thing, go through the motions and get to a counter action and burn 15 seconds. They come down and they look like they are looking to score. Like the one play that I love that they ran yesterday in the first half was they had Kobe bring it up, throw it to Brazil on a wing, or I think it was Pickett. And then they just had, then they had Anton step up set a screen at the elbow and run a UCLA cut and they fed it to him. They fed it to Kobe cutting. That was it. Pass to the wing. You, the play you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Just like, that's not complicated offense, but it's good offense. Like, and it's, yeah. and it's cutting to score. It's cutting to make a play. And that if you run more of that stuff, then I think you can, you know, turn the ship a little bit here, but what they were doing, you know, I think even going into the Liberty game was just like, they kept running the same stuff and it wasn't working. And it was just like, it doesn't really matter if you change the rotation, if you're going to keep putting the same dudes in the same place. So they're, they're making changes. They, you know, I probably Watkins and I would probably love to see them make more, but they're changing the rotation. They're, they're running different stuff now to fit that. Um, we'll see if they can continue to find a, a formula that works, but you know, there, there's some small consolation that I think they recognize that what they're doing isn't working and they're trying to find solutions right now. Um, we'll see if they can find enough to, to make this season worthwhile and, and, you know, earn another one on the job. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you're just lifting my, my pour over uh, headline there, um, you know, halfway through the football season, like right at the start of the basketball season, we just had like these horrible events, like back to back, and it's just like, what you're doing isn't working. Like, you need to do something else. Whatever you've been trying to do isn't working. And against Utah, things worked. So, you know, like, keep doing things that work. I like things that work, Matt. It, it usually leads to better results. Yeah, yeah. Um... <laughs> to, to, to basically just boil it all down to that simple concept. Do what works. Yeah, don't be afraid to change. Don't just don't don't be stubborn. You know, at this point, it's it's a salvage run, and you know you you got to you got to Rube Goldberg it. Got to just find yeah. something that works. So uh, we're gonna get out of here. Um, it is Christmas week, so we we have one game, and then we will come back uh, next week. We'll re- we will review that game. Um, and I'm like the. Don't they kind of have some time off? Am I missing that? Yeah, then they they don't play again until I think the 29th and the SEC opener against Kentucky. Um, you know, a modest you know trip to Rupp to open <laughs> up conference play. Um, n- nothing difficult here. The the folks in Birmingham really um, took you know took pity on them and gave them a, a soft start uh, by sending them to see Big Oscar <laughs> without yeah. a traditional five. So. Um, it's 
So it's Wednesday the 22nd, Wednesday the 29th, Wednesday, January 5th. Yeah, they they kind of so spread it. Three consecutive uh, Wednesday Wednesdays, games. and that's all the basketball we get. Um, and then it goes to so twice we'll be, a week after that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it goes Jan- Wednesday, January 5th, Saturday, January 8th. Um, so it'll be nice to, like, you know, not have a whole lot of basketball to think about. Uh, hopefully they can make things kind of work and and we'll have more more positive podcasts um so for uh for matt and myself i would just like to say uh have a merry christmas everybody if you don't celebrate christmas uh happy holidays whatever it is you celebrate uh and enjoy your time um i always like getting a little time off from work uh happy new year but we'll be back before then uh etc etc uh, make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast. If you're not already, please um, like and, and comment and share all these things as much as you can. I think it helps. I uh, believe BK is coming back soon, uh, freshly married, and so uh, you know before the box score, you'll you'll be you'll, you'll be blessed with uh, with his vocal cords and and not have to listen to uh, uh, to as much Nate Edwards, who I believe had. had uh, Josh and Parker on as guests. Um, did you listen to those podcasts, Matt? Or you just completely don't even pay attention to any of our football coverage? Please, the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Matt doesn't subscribe to our podcast, but you should. Uh, I subscribe hopefully... to the podcast. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, th- I think we're, we're past due here. Um, so I'm, I'm going to turn in. Uh, everybody have a good night. We'll be back next week, hopefully talking about a win. Um, all right. Until then, thanks for joining us. Thanks, everyone.